0: Okay. This morning we're starting in First Corinthians chapter four, and verse six. Actually, partway through verse six. And let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the things we can learn from it, and our uh, as they relate to our relationships to each other within the, the body of Christ. Um, well, things that we are to do, and things that we are exhorted not to do. And in this case. Uh, Paul will be telling us about things or not to do in in church, and we just pray that uh, you'll help us to uh, understand those things and to make sure that we identify those in our own lives whenever we are tempted to to act this way and think this way. Lord, we pray you'll bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, again, to get our context, let's uh, read, starting in verse 1 and read through verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 4.
1: This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God.
2: Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful.
1: But to me
3: it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord.
4: Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God.
5: Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied unto mine own self and Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn by us that no man presume about that which is written that one well not against another for any man's cause.
3: For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you <coughs> did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not?
0: You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And I would indeed that you had become kings, so that we also might reign with you.
1: For I think that God has exhibited us apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men.
2: We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored.
3: To this present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly <coughs> clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless.
1: And we labor, working with our own hands. When we vile, be blessed, when persecuted, we. <coughs>
4: When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become, ex- become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment.
0: Okay. So our context, last week we, we were looking at verse 5 where he tells, he's telling them, don't uh, pass judgment on other believers. Uh, and that's kind of in the context because in the previous two verses, we see that they were examining him. The Corinthians were examining Paul. Many of them were rejecting his authority. They were rejecting his teaching. Um, And they were saying that he was uh, insufficient, uh, not acceptable. And we saw the point that he's saying that even though he was not aware of anything against himself, it was God who equips and God who, um, excuse me, acquits and God who approves or condemns um, and it's the Lord who does that because he's the one who has the authority in judgment not just, not just the authority but the omniscience he understands, he knows our hearts our motives and that continued into verse 5 where instead of just applying to him and it was applying to you know, all of us you know, we're not to examine each other uh, because we don't have the authority to do so we're not the ones in charge in you know, in the body of Christ it's in a way we can look at ourselves as being in a family. We're all brothers and sisters. Um, you know I can I can tell you not to do something or I tell you ought to do something, but I'm not the one that you're accountable to. It's a, it's dad, you know. <laughs> you know, our father in heaven. Like he's, your twin brother, it was Yeah, brother. like my twin brother. Yeah. Um, and so we you know, we, we don't judge in the sense of uh, condemning or acquitting someone. We don't have the knowledge, we don't have the authority to do that. And we've, we've seen verses uh, last week where, you know, if we try to take that on ourselves, we're actually taking the place of God, in a sense. Uh, and that's that's wrong. So then we, we began verse 6, and... This is kind of a change in the plot here. And we, we talked about that last week. Verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to exceed what is written, in order that no one of you might become arrogant on behalf of one against the other. So he's he's been talking about himself and Apollos, you know, because... You know, we started out this book with, you know, some say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Apparently that was not the real problem. The real problem was they had people in Corinth who were exalting themselves and beginning to lead factions. And the factions were following these men in Corinth, not necessarily so much Paul and Apollos, but these arrogant men in, in Corinth. And so he's saying, you know, I didn't use their names to begin with because they may not have heard and listened and understood. So I, you know, we, we applied it to me and Apollos. So you understand the principle. And now I'm going to shift it over and say, okay, you're the ones. And we looked at uh, the example in the Old Testament of, of Nathan going to David and telling him this story about a lamb, and and David getting furious about it, and, and Nathan says, "You're it. You're the man." So that's the same, same thing we see here. Um, sometimes when you have to criticize, you have to be really careful to get them to listen first and understand the principle and then apply it to them. And then they'll, it's easier to see that. And, you know, we all are that way. You know, I don't like to be criticized. We put our shields up and we, we don't listen. So it's hard to accept criticism. But here he's doing it, and he has to kind of go around and surprise them from behind in a sense so that's how that's what we covered last week the first part of verse six so what is it that he wants them to learn he says so that in in us you might learn he says not to exceed what is written and this phrase what is written is used to refer to scripture and we see that word written uh, already in this book five times. Let's go back to chapter 1. Someone like to read verse 19.
1: For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will
0: thwart. Okay, it is written. Been with someone like to read verse 31. Chapter 1, verse 31.
3: So that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord.
0: Okay, and then in chapter two, it's some like to read verse nine for us.
5: But as it is written, the things which I have not seen, neither ear hath heard, neither came into man's heart, are what God hath prepared for them that love him.
0: Okay, and then finally in our context, chapter three. Someone liked to read verses 19 and 20.
4: For the wisdom of the, this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile.
0: Okay. So here's, he, he's been going through, and there's five quotations from the Old Testament. You know, it is written, it is written, it is written he's making his point that way and now he's saying i don't want you to go beyond those things this is what god has said and so i want you to understand you can't go beyond you don't boast in yourself you boast in god Uh, you don't think you're wise because you're foolish in god's eyes Um, the things that we do know god has given to us he's revealed them to us and so those are the boundaries and that's what what paul is saying here um When he says it is written, he's referring to scripture and and probably in particular to the five quotations we've already seen. The ultimate purpose is that no one in Corinth should become arrogant. He says that so that no one of you might become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Unfortunately, that has already happened. They have become arrogant. Uh, in our chapter, First Corinthians four, was someone like to they shouldn't be. what? They should to they shouldn't be. Yeah, you yeah. shouldn't be. Someone like to read verses eighteen and nineteen. In chapter, in chapter four, yes.
3: Now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power.
0: Okay, so we see someone become arrogant. And we also see the arrogance is in opposition to Paul. No. So there's, there's a, a problem here with them rejecting Paul. Um, chapter 5, would someone like, someone like to read verse 6?
1: Your boasting is not good. You know that a little leaven
0: leavens a whole lot? Okay, so we see them boasting. They're arrogant and they're boasting. And that's what Paul's trying to fight here. Now this last phrase, you know, back in, in verse uh, six, become arrogant in behalf of one against another. Uh, from the commentaries, it's, it's kind of unclear as to exactly what he's referring to. Some of them take it all the way back to what we saw in the beginning, you know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and they're setting Paul and Apollos against each other. Actually, I think it makes more sense to apply it to these um, arrogant men in Corinth, who are leading factions and they are um, setting themselves against each other, and so you've got a, uh, they're developing splits in the church, um, and I think this is something God absolutely abhors. I mean, you you don't want to cause a, a split in the congregation or divisions. Um, you know, sometimes you may know you're right. <laughs> And you keep your mouth shut anyways because you don't want to split a, a con- you know, the body of Christ. Um, I had a case like that before I moved to Longview. I was visiting a church. and you know, It was a covenant-reformed church. Well, I came out of a dispensational background. So you got a difference of uh, um, theologies there. That church had split over dispensationalism. And, and the pastor was trying to rebuild the church, you know, in the Covenant Reformed tradition. So I come in, and I'm dispensational. And we're visiting, and I said, oh, yeah, I've taught Sunday School class. And he, he says, I can't let you teach here. And I said, I understand. <laughs> you know, I never brought it up. I, you know, I was there, I was learning. You know, it was a problem, and that's why the church had split in the past. I wasn't going to bring it up. You know, I'm not covenant. I definitely, you know, I listened, I learned, try to understand why they believe what they believe. But, you know, I'm, I still think I'm right and they were wrong, but I wasn't going to bring it up and argue with them because they already, you know, you don't split God's people up. So, um, so here he's telling them, uh, don't become arrogant. Don't set part of the church against another part of the church. And in verse 7, he begins to address their, uh, their the, those who are arrogant, um, who are leading the different factions. He says, For who regards you as superior? And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So he's basically saying, who do you think you are? <laughs> what, why do you think you have the right to lead, to lead a faction? Uh, who sets you apart? Um, and this is an interesting word you know to this word regards or who judges or made you different. And we have it in, in chapter six, let's turn to First Corinthians chapter six. Someone like to read verse five. I say this to shame you. is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Okay, so here we have the word, decide, or judge. So, the word is to um, judge between two things, what's right what's wrong. And, and so here um, they are judging themselves to be superior. You know, they're, they're looking at themselves and they're looking at the others and they're saying, well I'm right and you're wrong. So they made that judgment so they set themselves up as superior Um, and that's why they think that they can lead this group Um, and he talks about um, you know what do you have that you did not receive so they may have some special natural ability they may have some spectacular spiritual gift they may actually have that and that sets them apart But Paul says, well, what do you have that you did not receive? Why do you boast? You know, nothing. All their abilities come from God. Um, It's not something they generated themselves. It's a gift from God. And you don't boast about the gifts you receive from God or the abilities you receive from God. And we all have special abilities. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. Um, you know, I, I found as I went through college, I was really good at engineering in classes. I did really well in classes. I You know, it was kind of like a, a revelation that God wired my brain to do that. <laughs> um, but when did that happen? That was, you know, God forms us in the womb. I didn't wire my own brain that way. That's just the way, you know, it's like... Uh, Some people may or may not think being an engineer is especially a blessing, (laughs) because we're a little weird in a way, Uh, but I think that way. I'm really good at that. Sit me down in front of the piano, and you will see total incompetence. (laughs) Total incompetence. My brain cannot do that. I do not understand music. Marie can do that. I can't. So, you know, we have our own gifts. So, am I superior because, well, I did really good in my engineering classes? No. That may be true, you know, and I have to acknowledge that, that God gave me that. You know, I could be grateful to God that He gave me a, a, a wonderful career, but, you know, I don't boast in it. Um, and it's the same with, with spiritual gifts. Um, you know, we may be really good at doing something and, and like doing it, and and you function well at it, and you can say, you know, God, thank you that I like doing this. I can contribute to the church. I enjoy doing it. I know it's an important part of the church, um, and it's a blessing. Um, and so we should respond um, with thanksgiving, with worship to God, for the things that He does give us in our particular. Instead of becoming arrogant and trying to lead a faction or something like that. Let's go back to First, Chron- First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine. This shows the I think this is David showing the correct attitude. First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine. Someone like to read verses ten through thirteen.
3: Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name.
0: Okay. And then you see his, verse 14, but who am I? You know, David was the the greatest of the kings of Israel. I mean, Solomon may have been richer, but uh, everything that David had, he he knows it came from God. And he praises God and worships him, him because of that. Um, let's look at James, chapter 1. And someone like to read verse 17. Well, you can quote it if you know it.
1: <laughs> every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of life who there is no variation or shadow due
0: to change. Okay, every good gift comes from above. So, yes, we do have abilities. We do have spiritual abilities, um, physical, mental abilities. They all come from God. We should be grateful to him. And we should not um, be boastful about it. Uh, We can be confident in what God has given us um, because God has given it to us. It's, It's good. So we can be confident in it but not boastful. So here he is looking at these uh, so-called leaders in the Corinthian church who had become arrogant for whatever reason that they thought they were superior to others. And he will begin to admonish them quite severely. Looking at verse 8, he says, You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And I would indeed that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. So they were arrogant, they were collecting followers, and so here Paul ridicules what they think of themselves. Uh, First, they think they are full. Um, And this word can be used of someone who has eaten a big meal and can't even eat anymore. I've never done that. (laughs) I managed to get some pie down. so they think they're filled with wisdom. They have nothing more that they can learn. Uh, they don't. No one can teach them anything. They know everything already. You know they've become unteachable. Uh, let's go back to chapter three. Someone like to read verses one and two.
5: And I could not speak unto you, brethren, as unto spiritual men, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, and not meat. For ye were not yet able to bear it,
0: neither yet now are ye able. Okay, are they filled with godly wisdom? No. It's like a baby who's full of milk. I mean, maybe they needed to be burped, but they, were, <laughs> they still had a lot, a lot to learn. Um, they couldn't even handle meat. Um, so, uh, you know, they're not mature. They're babes. But they think they're full. They think they know all these things let's look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3 we've got a a similar warning here Galatians chapter 6 would someone like to read verse 3 if anyone
1: thinks
3: they are something when they are not they deceive themselves
0: right they were deceiving themselves Um, and if remember we had a phrase let no man deceive himself That occurs ten times in this book. They were deceiving themselves. So they thought they were full. They thought they were full of wisdom. They didn't need any more. Next, he says, you've already become rich. They thought they were rich, wealthy. Uh, And in a way they were. Let's go back to chapter 1. Someone like to read verses 4 through
4: 7. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift, As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed.
0: Okay, so they, you know, Paul says, you have been enriched. You know, God has blessed you, He's given you all these spiritual blessings. He's given you a great deal of knowledge because Paul and Apollos both taught there. So they've been given a lot. Um, But at the same time, even though they've been enriched in this way, um, this is all a gift. You know, we just saw that in a previous verse. You know, why do you think you're superior? Because God has given you something. Um, they're not. It says they have knowledge. Someone like to read. Let's turn to chapter eight. Someone like to read verse one for us. Now,
1: concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up.
0: Okay, he says, we have knowledge, we know about the idols, but the knowledge makes you arrogant. Just having knowledge makes you arrogant. You don't have love to go with it. And then we will follow a couple chapters later with 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks about love. Um, in chapter 12, we're not going to look there, but you've got all these different kind of spiritual gifts. Uh, and He talks about those who have more honorable gifts versus gifts that are not honorable. You know, those who, you know, I have an honorable gift. I get to stand up in front of everybody and talk. I, you know, I should not become proud and arrogant because of that.
1: It also says you'll be more accountable.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking constantly about should I say that? Should I, how do I board this? Yeah. It's, it's a good check um,
3: yeah. and balance. Yes. yes.
0: Um, but we, we do need the people who clean the toilets. Mm-hmm. When, when I was in college, our church got heavy use. They had meetings every, every night of the week except Saturday. I mean, it got used like 8 hours, 9 hours, 10 hours a week. Saturday, we'd do cleanup. And there was uh, one of the students named Craig, who was kind of the director you know, told, told you who what needed to be done. You'd show up and go talk to Craig. I knew, always knew where to find Craig. He was in the bathroom cleaning the toilets. I had so much respect for that guy. He would not... He always took the dirtiest jobs himself, and he'd let you go do something easier or something cleaner or something nicer. I mean, I think, uh, you know, and he was one of those that you know, didn't have a lot of honor, but I respected him uh, because of that. So they think they're full. They think they're rich. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and would someone like to read verse 17 for us?
3: Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked.
0: Okay. So this is almost more sarcastic than Paul. You know, and this is, you know, God speaking uh, is the, you know, um, through uh, John the Elder to the church here. Uh, you, know, you see the arrogance. I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I don't need anything. Paul says, no, you're not. <laughs> or, or, or God says, no, you're not. Um, you still need a lot. Um, i got one more passage. Let's, let's turn to Hosea. I'm trying to think. Okay, where's Hosea? (laughs) I know it's after Daniel. Where's Hosea? Hosea chapter 12. This is worth turning to just for practice at finding Hosea. (laughs) Hosea chapter 12. Would someone like to read verse 8?
4: Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me inequity in, in, in or sin.
0: Okay. Ephraim is the northern kingdom. And they said, We're wealthy. We're rich. You know, I, I think they were talking about material prosperity. You know, I, I'm, I'm blessed of God, right? Because I'm wealthy, I'm rich. You're not going to find any sin in me, why why would God bless me if I was a sinner? You know, that was kind of the same attitude we see in the book of Job. Uh, The reason you're suffering and you've lost all your wealth is because you've sinned. So they were saying, okay, we're wealthy. And God's saying, no you're not. They were destroyed. This is uh, not that long after that. Okay, so they, Paul's dealing with their, their arrogance. Uh, They're filled, they've become rich. And he says they thought they were kings. you become kings. And there's a couple different explanations for exactly what this refers to, and I'm still not sure which one (laughs) fits the context better. Um, Some of the commentaries mention that (laughs) they were thinking that the millennial kingdom had come, and therefore they had been given positions... Of leadership in the millennial kingdom, that they were kings to rule in the millennial kingdom. Um, in 2 Thessalonians, there's an error that says the resurrection has already happened. Well, what happens after the resurrection is the kingdom. So it may have been that there was that, that error might have been going through the churches and they and grabbed onto that and said, okay, the resurrection's happened, the, it's the millennial kingdom. and I'm a, been appointed a ruler in it. Um, now I think more maybe that it refers to the leaders of these factions. You know, think that they're the greatest ones among their peers, and and because of that, all their wisdom and their spiritual gifts, they have now the ability and the and the right to command and judge others. That they're the greatest among their peers and so they get to be the king they get to be the leader let's go back and look at Luke chapter 22 Luke 22 and I'd like to read verses 24 through 26
5: And there arose also a strife among them, which of them should seem to be the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles reign over them, and they that bear root over them are called bountiful. But ye shall not be so, but let the greatest among you be the, as the least, and the chiefest as he that serveth.
0: Okay, so here are the disciples, and this happened more than once, which, which of us is the greatest of the disciples? And then Jesus immediately refers to the kings of the Gentiles, the ones who thought that they were the greatest and they lorded it over the others. And so we see those two things that the arrogance and leadership and the, the um, grasping leadership um, and authority go together. Um, way too often, the, it's the arrogant who tend to rise to the top and want to you know, rule over everybody else. So Jesus said, your part is to serve, not to rule. Um, So going back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul goes on and says, you've become kings without us. Um, Implying that they did not need Paul's teaching. They did not need his wisdom anymore. They've achieved it on their own. You know, that's part of the arrogance. Um. So they, they kind of abandoned Paul, because they don't need him, uh, to follow their own paths. And so they, you know, again, you can see the arrogance in what they're doing. The
4: there.
0: No, there was no accountability, right. Because Paul, as an apostle, had that authority that God had granted him from his position. Um, so they were, were ruling without Paul. And at this point, Paul does some little, it's kind of like a little bit of reflection. um, Because, you know, he goes on to say, you know, you've become kings without us, but I would indeed or wish indeed that you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. And so he expresses a desire here that all believers, you know, including these Corinthians, um, could reign together with Christ when he does return and establish his kingdom. So this will be fulfilled when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. And so that's kind of the basis for how you interpret the first part of the verse. You become kings, and now he's talking about something that does imply the millennium, the millennial kingdom. And, and he's thinking, you know, I hope, we all, I hope we all get to be kings in the kingdom. Um, but it's not the kingdom yet. <laughs> you know, you're still servants um, you know God's word does tell us that we will reign with Christ. Let's look at Second Timothy chapter 2. two. Timothy chapter two. and someone like to read verses eleven and twelve? The
1: saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure,
0: we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Okay, if we endure, we'll reign with Him. We'll reign with Him in the in the kingdom to come. Um, let's look at Revelation chapter 5. Someone like to read verses 9 and 10 for us.
3: blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth
0: okay so here we see the 24 elders praising God for uh, Christ in particular the lamb um, for his his death on the cross for his purchasing for God people from every walk of life why? So that we can be a kingdom and priests, and we will reign with him on the earth. So we're you know, looking at uh, eschatology and looking at future things. Um, when Christ returns to reign, uh, believers will be given positions of rulership under him. Resurrected believers. This goes back to some of the parables where um, Jesus talks about... Uh, uh, servants who are uh, faithful and they will be given cities in the future to reign you know during the kingdom period so we can look forward to that and that's what Paul is saying here you know I I, I, I hope we all can reign I hope you're saved in a sense <laughs> and you will be able to reign in the future uh, but not now <laughs> it's not it's not the millennium yet So, uh, you know, they're content to rule without Paul, but Paul's hope is that they'll all reign together. So he's being pretty rough and sarcastic with him, uh, but it's for their own good. Look at verse chapter 4, look, look at verse 14. Someone would like to read that for us.
3: I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children.
0: Okay. So he's saying I'm not trying. He says I'm not trying to shame you, but as we go through this, it almost looks like he's going to ridicule them. <laughs> he is really, really tough on um, them. Yeah, he's kind of saying that's, that's really not the ultimate goal is your shame, but that you'll be corrected, that you'll be mm-hmm. admonished. Um,
3: and we, he's saying that he loves
0: them. Yes. Um, Okay. Interact together. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think I think of Proverbs. Or I think it says, you know, the rod is for the back of fools. Some people you have to beat to get them to understand things. They just, you know, you, you, well, I guess I think in terms of, you know, hitting them upside the head with a two by four. Some, you know, some people you can talk to. You know, Proverbs says you can you can speak to a wise man and he's corrected. But a fool, you know, he takes a two-by-four. And I think Paul here is using a two-by-four. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we can start verse 9. Um, it says, For I think God has exhibited us, us, apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. So, these self-made leaders think that this is a position of prestige and honor. And Paul's going to start looking at, you know, talking about what what is it really like to be an apostle? <laughs> you don't get a lot of prestige. You don't get a lot of honor. Um, and so he starts with a metaphor. And this goes back to the, to the practice in Rome when the armies have gone out and been victorious and they come back and triumph. They would have a parade. They'd come into Rome, and the you know, the, the king and the leaders would lead the possession, all their armies behind them, and then behind that they would have all the captured slaves. You know, they'd have the captured rulers of the, you know, you know king or generals would come and then all the slaves. So you'd have this possession, and all the people would mock you know, the prisoners um, the defeated ones. And they would be taken uh, to the amphitheater and put to death by wild animals or gladiators or forced to fight as a spectacle. And so that was the practice in Rome. Um, And what Paul is saying here is the apostles, in in God's plan, the apostles are like the captured uh, prisoners who are going to be stuck in the amphitheater uh, to die as, as a spectacle. Um, the word for spectacle is theatron, which is where we get the word theater. So, you know, they're going to be, God's almost putting on a show to see, for, and again, before men and angels, how much beating can these poor guys take? <laughs> um, the apostles. Um now, Paul's not saying they'll suffer ultimate defeat, but that their suffering is an opportunity for God to preserve them, to strengthen them, and for them to glorify God by persevering in faith, by expressing their faith and their confidence in him. So It's kind of like the book of Job. Job took a beating, but he was faithful. He did not deny God. And so in a sense, that's part of what God is doing with the Apostles. You know, he's running them through the ringer, but, um, um, again, they're, they're not ultimately losing because Christ's resurrection from the dead. They have victory over death. Um, they'll be faithful unto death, and God will be glorified. So we have the phrase here, condemned to death, and that's uh, actually just one word. This is the only way place this word is used in the New Testament. So it's a unique word. Um, so, but the idea is not new. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Someone would like to read verses 35 through 37 for us.
3: Who will separate us from the love of Christ? will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword just as it is written for your sake we are being put to death all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us
0: okay so he's, he quotes from psalm 44 here you know is God's plan that believers will suffer in this world? Jesus warned his disciples, "You will be persecuted. Uh, you will die." You know we'll, we'll see that in another place. Um, but also he says, "You will overwhelmingly conquer." Even though you're persecuted, even though you're put to death physically, you will conquer. You will ultimately win this battle. And we see that um, in the the trials and tribulations that the apostles go through and other believers. So let's look at the example of Peter. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Someone like to read us verse 36.
1: Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered
0: him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward." Okay, this is where Peter says, I'll never deny you. (laughs) But but the Lord tells him, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. You will follow me later. You also will die. Um, Let's turn to chapter 21 in John. John chapter 21 i like read verses 18 and 19 of course
3: Truly, truly I say to you when you were younger you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished but when you grow old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go now he said this signifying what kind of death he would glorify God
0: and when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Okay. So, we see that his death will do what? It will glorify God. So, this is one of the apostles, and this is God's plan, that he would uh, glorify God in his death. And I think uh, tradition says Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Oh, wow. So, and that's where he died. So, you know, when, when, when Paul is telling us, you know, we're at the end of the possession, we're going to be a spectacle to, to man and angels in the way we're put to death, that's what happened. I think John was the only one that died of old age. <laughs> the rest were all martyred. Well, let's close there. We're out of time. Joe,
2: you're my closer? <laughs> Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word, for the way it does speak to us in a personal matter. We looked at these stories of, of old, but yet, we know there are stories of truth and stories about you led those that were before us. You're the same God of yesterday of today that you can lead us also. So, I do pray, Lord, that you will guide us, direct us, that we will be living examples to you in the things we do in our life. Thank you for this hour. Pray for the next hour to come, Lord. Lord, just pray, Lord, that you will guide and direct, that we'll follow, and that we'll be here with worshipful attitudes as we listen to what you have for us. Thank you for Robert, for the message your brings forward for Amen. Mm-hmm.